You're listening to the And I Quote podcast brought to you by Coterie Insurance. I mean, there is no magic formula to any of this. There's no magic formula to roll out tech. There's no magic formula to solve any of the industry's problems. There's just people out there giving it a try. We will be bringing you conversations with industry influencers and experts discussing a variety of topics focused on our theme, Because Relationships Matter. Now let's dive in. Welcome everyone to the And I Quote podcast with Coterie Insurance. I'm Bobby Calise, your host today. I have an amazing guest today. Um, Meg McKean is joining us to talk a little bit about her insurance journey and where she is today and how she got there. Meg, welcome to the podcast. Bobby, thank you so much. Thanks for having me and thanks for, for coming back conversation after conversation and making this a reality. It's it's really cool to be part of it. Yes, I'm excited. So your insurance story is um, inspiring and it's kind of a little bit all over the place when you look at your career. Just kind of let our audience know like where you started, how you got into insurance and what was your journey to the point you are today? Uh, a little all over the place pretty much sums it up. Um, you know, you this is a tale as old as time. I backed into my career in insurance. It certainly wasn't wasn't what I planned for my life. The the moral of the story is what are plans really at the end of the day. And in summary, the industry has provided a livelihood for me. It's provided opportunities, um, but it also has provided a lot of frustration and a lot of misalignment. And that was where I found myself six years ago, totally burnt out, well-compensated, well-respected, doing theoretically good, meaningful work, but also really struggling to show up every day. And all of the decisions that I had made up to that point, I started um, very early in my career as an intern in college, decided that sales wasn't for me. It was a, a cold calling telemarketing opportunity. And I was like, nope, um, became an underwriter, which proved to be a, a really smart decision, really building that technical foundation. I worked for lots of great companies with really solid reputations and had an opportunity to advance within them and then move around a little bit. Made a turn, took a turn and did um, took a role in underwriting leadership. And then the phone rang and it was an old agent friend of mine in Chicago and they were at a bit of a crossroads as a small family owned firm and really needed someone that had good technical background, but also uh, frankly presented well, that they knew that they could put in front of clients and wouldn't embarrass them or embarrass themselves either. And so I fit the bill, had made that switch from the carrier side to the agency side, and then started looking around and, you know, they talk about like where the sausage is made and the agency side being the wild, wild west. And and all of that is true. And I realized our industry is full of really well compensated average performers. And I kept thinking to myself, the bar is way too low for an insurance yeah. salesperson. It's just, it's too easy to be licensed. It's too easy. And I don't want to diminish if it's a struggle for you listening. Um, it's meant to be a little bit, right? The work we do is really meaningful and it's important and it's impactful. And the responsibility that we have as professionals is great. You know, I used to think one one bad decision, if you will, and I could bury a business, not intentionally, but if I missed something, what a huge responsibility I had. And I just felt like many of, of the fellow agents that I was surrounded by were really taking that for granted and saw the money grab 
but didn't see the responsibility that came with it. And so, um, you know, opportunities, you know, doing my thing, being a good, a good girl, if you will, a good student of the world, get a job, you know, put money in your 401k, do the right thing, toe the line, don't ask questions. And life took me in a different direction. I was married very young. I got divorced at 30 by the point where I six years ago was experiencing burnout. That chapter had closed for me years before. And I was on a different journey through womanhood. And I started to look at my career and say, where does this fit? You know, I'm making all of these really bold decisions in my personal life. I'm taking control of my finances and my decision making. And I'm truly a one woman show. And yet I'm sort of showing up for this work that is completely out of alignment. And so I was very fortunate. I planned for um, some time off and I took it. I made six months stretch into a year because I thought that after six months I would, you know, the heavens would open and I would have some sort of divine intervention and I would know what was next for me and I didn't know. And so I took an extra six months and I really thought about the future as I designed it. What would that look like if I stopped playing someone else's game, if I stopped following someone else's path for me, what would that look like? And initial annoyance and frustration with, you know, my fellow agents out there in the marketplace selling their souls for the next deal. And I created a solution to it. I started uh, coaching full disclosure because I think we need to tell the whole story. Um, The first product, if you will, that I launched was a total flop. And interestingly now, that is part of what I do, but the industry wasn't ready for it yet. And so I learned a big lesson there right out of the gate that you have to meet people where they are in every sense of the word. And so stripped that down, started coaching one-on-one, learned a lot about not necessarily the sales process, but what it feels like to be an insurance salesperson. And what I learned was that the feelings I was having were completely valid. And the idea took hold that We do really well in our industry training professionals to be, to sell more. That's the bottom line, more revenue, more commission, more sales, more closing, more deals. But we don't show them how to be whole, complete, authentic humans in the process. And so way back to the beginning, I have a degree in sociology. I am finally, 24 years later, leveraging what I believe to be true, what I'm good at, how I can make money. All of this sort of packaged up in this build, this business now that I've been running, um, it'll be five years in July. So it's a really cool milestone um, for me as a, as a woman, as a woman in our industry, as a business owner to be through a pandemic, through some a lot of false starts, a lot of throw it against the wall and see if it sticks, and um, to be here having this conversation with you. So long story, it's hard to keep it, keep it short, but it has definitely been a winding path and Um, I'm a person who chooses not to live with regrets, and so I celebrate all of the stubbed toes and the little slips and falls along the way because um, they all count. It all counts. Well, it it shapes who you are today as a person, Meg, right? And you learn so much from those stubbed toes more than you do from your successes um, because you you think so deeply about them for a long period of time, right? And what could I have done differently? But then kudos to you. You move on, right? Like no regrets. I learned from it. And that's fantastic. One of the things you said that resonated a lot with me is um, the market wasn't ready for it. And I think um, a lot of times, even in my career, 
being a forward thinking insurance professional, you can see where things are going, but our industry moves so slow and you're like, you know, screaming, like, we have to do this, we have to do this. But if, if the market's not ready for it, it's, it's definitely not ready for it. Right. Yeah. Um, even like embedded insurance, uh, that's just like a very, you know, strategic distribution move, but market wasn't quite ready for it. And now we hit this, you know, macroeconomic stumbling block and it's even less ready for it than it probably was a year and a half ago. Um, so it's just, it's interesting how, market readiness needs to pair with the strategic vision and what we're trying to like push into the market. Right. Yeah. No, you're, uh, and it, it's so interesting because I work with the human capital, right. Yeah. In the business. And I, I talk with a lot of people in the tech space and, and on the underwriting side and side and sales. And, and it's, it's true across the board. You know, we have this reputation of being kind of stuck in time and, you know, I always thought, well, the human side of this has to be more, progressive. We're not bogged down by all these legacy systems and all of this data that is on a path to nowhere. And the truth is the way we think about the work we do, the way we um, engage with our coworkers, that is all very stuck in time as well. And so five years ago, and still today, I'll post something on social media or yammer on on my own podcast about whatever's on my mind. And I wonder sometimes, people must think I'm nuts because I don't it's not that I don't care. I respect the history and the tradition in the industry, but every day there's people in my DMs and people that send me emails and they're like, thank goodness for speaking your truth because I thought I was the only one. And I thought I was the only, only one 25 years ago who thought cold calling and telemarketing was the worst thing ever. And it's been validated over and over again. If you love to do that, do it. But if you don't love to do that, instead of compromising yourself and who you are and what makes you great, let's find something else and giving ourselves the permission to like, I mean, there is no magic formula to any of this. There's no magic formula to roll out tech. There's no magic formula to solve any of the industry's problems. There's just people out there giving it a try and being willing to fail and fail publicly is a really um, it's a fascinating, you know, sometimes I wish I wasn't in it because I'd love to look at it sociologically, but I have to sort of, uh, I have to deal with it, you know, every day, um, owning the, the decisions I make and the things that I say. So it's so meaningful. I, I was stuck in legacy insurance carriers for majority of my career. Coterie has been my first kind of startup where, um, my passion truly is fueled by what we're doing every day. Right. And so like even coaching folks within Coterie or, or, you know, some folks that I mentor outside of the organization, talking to them about like, you need to wake up in the morning and be excited for what you're doing day in and day out. Um, otherwise you're going to lead to burnout, Meg. Right. And so like, let's talk a little bit about that portion of your story, because I think right now it's super meaningful for a lot of people um, you know, everybody's being asked to do more, right, with less. And I think burnout's more prevalent. Talk a little bit about like how you realized you were going through burnout, some of the the things you did to help yourself recover from that. Uh, I think that's I think our audience will enjoy that part of your story. Yeah, thank you. And I'm I'm happy to talk about it. I'm extremely transparent about it because six years ago when I was experiencing it, we weren't. We didn't, burnout wasn't a word then that was in our vernacular. And so I found myself feeling these feelings 
but not really having an avenue to express them because I looked around and everybody around me was on their own sort of proverbial pathway to success. And um, at the time that I experienced this, I'll be 45 this fall, so I was late 30s. And a lot of my, I'll say, fellow gals that I was palling around with were in a similar point, maybe even a little bit older in, in their career. And so they were reaching junior executive level or executive level within their corporations. And as someone who never had a career path, I didn't know what the goal was. And so I found myself taking promotions and getting raises and hopping around a little bit without really understanding why I was making those decisions except to make more money to save for retirement, which may or may not come someday. And life happens, right? You you lose a loved one or a friend or someone close to you untimely and and you're like, what am I doing this for? So that, I experienced that in that moment. But also this, I I don't even like insurance if I'm really honest about it. And I'm not an insurance nerd and I don't read policies for fun and I don't love getting into coverage debates. Like that is not the part of business of this business that I run toward. The part of the business that I run toward is all these quirky personalities that we have here. And the loudest voice in our industry always gets the attention, but there are so many other people that make this ecosystem run that have beautiful ideas and just take a little longer to share them or are not comfortable sharing them in public. And that was me. I was the one who was watching on the sidelines, literally sitting on my hands with a fire in my belly, belly saying, it doesn't have to be this way. We're making this so much harder than it needs to be. But I never had an outlet for those feelings. And it wasn't that I didn't work for great leaders and and bosses who saw my potential. They certainly did. And doors were opened up for me and opportunities came my way over the years. But I felt intrinsically, and this has been validated in the latest season of my life, that this industry wasn't built for my success as a, a forward thinking, empathetic thoughtful, compassionate woman, I needed to be all sorts of other things if I was going to find quote unquote success. And so what did burnout physically look for me? Look like for me? It was physical. It was, um, I was tired all the time. I was burning the proverbial candle at both ends. I was getting up at 4 a.m. to get on the train, to go into downtown Chicago, to go to the gym, to work out, to get showered, to go to the office to go home on the, like, it was such a hamster wheel. And I'll do the hamster wheel if I feel like at the end of the day, the work has meaning and purpose. And I didn't yeah. feel that way. And yep. so one of the the very critical moments for me, if you will, a couple different things happened. Uh, I was introduced to a female business owner in Chicago who had started her amazing manufacturing company when she was a a college student in the dorm and had grown it to a multi-million dollar organization. And I was referred in by um, the president of the agency that I was working for. And so I was coming in as the PNC property and casualty for the non, if there's anyone not in insurance listening to this podcast, but my background's always been PNC, always um, on the business end of things. So I come to the table and sitting next to me, also in referral, brought in by the president of the agency is an employee benefits producer. And he is very, I'll say, 
stereotypical. Um, his his body language, he was manspreading. Um, he was a little disheveled. He was an interrupter. He talked a lot. He was very, you could just kind of smell his ego. Um, and my approach is the opposite. I'll just say it's the opposite. I use approachable language. I talk as you can tell, a lot of people speed up my podcast because they're like, man, you talk so slow. Um, but there's a thought that goes into every word that I say. And so there was a total juxtaposition. So we're sitting across from the decision maker. I assume this whole time it's a package deal, take it or leave it. She calls me and she's like, I'd like to move forward with you, but I'm going to go a different direction on the employee benefits side. And I said, can I ask why? And she's like, I like your energy. That's it. And so for me in that moment, the light bulb went off and I was like, it doesn't have to be this way. I don't have to continue to take um, you know, opportunities from other people. I don't have to continue to show up in a way that's inauthentic and put on a, a mask, if you will, when I'm showing up and doing the work that I'm doing. Anyway, long story short, I ended up resigning from that position um, in the summer of 2017. We rewrote my contract. I became an independent contractor did a little bit of contract work for them, had a small book of business that was growing, um, kept that book of business through the, the development of my consultancy, and then sold that almost two years ago um, to a different firm that I had partnered with and really rewrote what that, what that producer agency relationship looks like. And it worked for me. It gave me a little bit of a head start, um, was not a big book of business by any means, but gave me a little bit of comfort. Um, knowing that I was really jumping off the deep end, if you will. But the the burnout, I'll maybe go a little bit further down the path um, personally, what it, what the burnout experience looked like for me. Um, I was in the midst of a long-term relationship in that period, and that ended ultimately. I had grown tremendously in the decision to leave my job, to take a year off, and then to start a small business. And he we were partnered through that whole process. And I realized finally when I had launched my website and gotten my first sale, if you will, that I really needed a partner um, that could be with me and celebrate with me and, and wonderful human, but just not my human. And also relationships um, with my friendships evolved. And this is the other sort of thing we don't talk about when you leave your corporate nine to five and your high six-figure salary which is where a lot of us are, frankly, at this point in our career. Not everybody, but a lot of us that have started when we're fresh out of college and worked for 25 years. The way money works, right? Compounding, it happens. 4% of more is 4% more. And so it's, a, it's an interesting moment in time then to say, you know what, wait a second, I'm going to go back to square one. And I'm going to have to start saying no to happy hours because even on sale, a 14 glass a $14 glass of wine means I either pay for another month of my email provider or I go out for happy hour. And I started to make different choices around my time. Full disclosure, um, a lot of the work I do fits into the training and development HR budget. And there weren't budgets for those things during the pandemic because we just didn't know what the future held. And so a lot of the contracts that I had or the, the good decisions or the good discussions, if you will, that I was part of were put on hold. And so I just wanted to survive at that point. I wanted to have a business at the end of the pandemic. And so 
I had to start really making different choices about the money that was coming in and the money that was going out. And so it got to the point where I was feeling a lot of pressure myself, and then I was feeling this added pressure from other people, and I finally had to draw a boundary. I know that you mean well, but right now I've got enough pressure on my shoulders on my own, and so we need to pause these conversations. And when I'm ready, I'll let you know. And boundaries are something we talk about a lot. I didn't realize I was drawing a boundary then because I didn't have the self-awareness. It was a uh, it was a survival mechanism at the time, but looking back, um, I realized how many times I have drawn boundaries around myself to protect what I'm working towards and what I truly want out of of life and my livelihood. And I see lots of women making those moves now, and it's really powerful to witness and um, really cool to be part of. Thank you for sharing that, Meg. It's such a great story. And just... Your strength and resilience are so admirable. Um, so for what it's worth, I'm super proud of you. And like, I, I think your story is just so fantastic for, for so many other women in our industry and outside our industry, quite honestly. Um, I want to go back to something you talked a little bit about when you, when you were talking about your, um, your sale, right? When you were sitting next to this employee benefits salesperson, um, I, Unfortunately, I, I still see a lot of that in our industry. And I know that's that's something like we're trying to make an impact on. You're trying to do so through through your business. Um, but how do you think like we can fundamentally start to change some of some of those, you know, egos and some of the um what what I would say traditional white male um, you know, stereotypes that come with insurance, specifically in sales? Yeah, I'm I'm going to answer this a couple different ways and just kind of getting back to the foundations of the human experience. We can't change other people, right? We can influence them. What I have chosen to do is is focus on myself yeah. and really lean in and be comfortable. Um and thank you by the way for the compliment that you paid. I'm I'm really proud of myself too if I can be bold and um this isn't at all the life I thought that I would be living and to be in it in this moment is pretty cool. So thank you for that and and the opportunity to reflect. But, you know, I I think we're going to solve the problem in a sense through attrition, right? It's There's five generations working in the workplace. And as people make the decision to retire, you know, they retire with a lot of their thoughts and behaviors and prejudices and biases. And um, that's a good thing. I'm nervous. There's there's a crop, I'll say, of of younger, um, and I I don't want to say men, but unfortunately, it is typically men who have created sort of their own modern day boys club, and so they're perpetuating a lot of that. The interesting thing is, you know, I'm 45. I'm an old millennial. I'm a young Gen Xer. There's a lot of us in the industry and there's a lot of us who view work and our livelihood and our talents and our gifts and the way we make a living differently than generations before. And so in time, whether we like it or not, and I like it, so I'm totally biased myself, but those individuals will shift into leadership positions. And unfortunately, culture is set from the top and reinforced from the top. 
And a lot of organizations that we're working in right now have very broken cultures. And it's not necessarily because um, it's not intentional, but it's that we've been very isolated and insulated in how we look for help and resources. So um, we don't always know that there's a better option because our heads are so down and focused in our own business. And so people like me and and honestly, dozens of women and and men too, who are going it their own way are now sort of infiltrating these organizations and saying in a, a respectful, um, gentle, in my case, way, you know, there's another way. And when we yeah. talk about people leaving these organizations and people leaving the industry, the reason employee engagement is low and the reason that we're seeing turnover is because of these broken cultures. And so it's not because you're not running the right ads on LinkedIn. It's not because you're not paying them enough. It's because you're not nurturing them inside your organization. And that's what we require in the workplace today. And so I think it's a it's a long game. I hate that. It's such a cliche. Um, I want to see change now. I'm very reflective in my fifth year looking back at what has changed. You know, as a an anecdote, when I first started coaching and called myself a coach, nobody would take my call because they assumed that I was a life coach. Because at the time, the only coaches that existed were life coaches. And no offense to life coaches, because frankly, a lot of what I do at the end of the day is life coaching. We're talking about mindset and confidence and behaviors and habits. And like, that's life coaching if I've ever heard it. Um, but I had to package it a little bit differently so that people would take me seriously. And I think a lot of what I'm seeing on the DE&I front is performative. A lot of companies are putting initiatives in place and they're checking the box because stakeholders are demanding it. On the flip side, you and I are fortunate to know some of the best, most well-intentioned men in the industry who are truly allies. And I, and I say well-intentioned differently this time because their intentions are good and they're active and they're, they are physically creating space and opportunities for women. And we need 10,000 more of them. But I will take the ones that we have and I will continue to, to lean on them and ask them to become uncomfortable in uncomfortable spaces and to help other people around them become uncomfortable. Because as long as we keep systems in place to protect people, it won't change. And so this is a very meandering answer, if you can tell. It's not a do these five things and we're going to revolutionize the industry. The last piece of this, maybe not the last piece, but another piece, and it's switching gears a little bit, is the way that we nurture one another as women in this industry. And there's this phenomenon that we talk about it. We uh, Anya Caruso came on my podcast and we talked about it, the queen bee syndrome, where women who have reached a certain level of authority kind of look around and they're like, they hold their cards really close and they close doors instead of open a, opening them. They remove chairs from the proverbial table instead of adding them. And there's a sense of, you know, it was hard for me and therefore I'm going to make it hard for you. And I don't operate that way. And I don't hang out with people that operate that way. And so yeah. I'm very, very hopeful that instead of being um, roadblocks to one another's successes, we can be bridges. And I think about my personal core values in building a values-based consulting practice and working with other values-aligned organizations. And one of my core values is respect and service. And 
it doesn't just mean I demand respect from my clients. I respect myself. And so I say no to things that aren't respectful of me and my time and my energy. But I also, being in service means when an opportunity comes to me, how can I use that opportunity to elevate other people? Nothing gives me greater joy than to use my position in those, in those rooms to help other women who have never gotten on stage before to get on stage for the first time. Because just because you've not checked, checked that box in your life doesn't mean that you won't be great at it once you do. You just haven't had the opportunity. And that I can be a catalyst, a conduit to make those things happen is like holy, holy grail moment for me. Um, what a lot of people don't see is when I'm negotiating the contracts behind the scenes, I'm asking all sorts of questions about where are women in this process? Where is the diversity in this process? Because as a white woman in our industry, I am the second most privileged here. And so with that comes a huge amount of responsibility to make sure that I am being a conduit and a catalyst for change because I want it, you want it, we all theoretically want it, but the wanting it isn't enough. There has to be action. There are so many layers to the how do we fix it problem. And I think the the biggest thing is we can't stop talking about yeah. it. We can't we can't assume that because you have a women's ERG and because you um, now make sure that there's one one woman on stage at every one of your events that look now we've done it. We solved it because we all know fundamentally organizations that are led by women or have women in the C-suite perform better financially mm -hmm. in terms of the human experience that we've talked about. There's data and that supports this. And so um, it makes good business sense to do it too. I think in some ways, women's success is a threat um, to other people in the business. And we need to make sure that we're ferreting out where that is the case and that we're working through that too. So there's a lot there, Bobby. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, there were, um, I've been a part of a lot of DEI like committees or like, you know, we'd have one resource within our, our company that's a DEI leader. And it was always talking about why it's important, but never like teaching the leaders on like, how do you instill this into your daily work, into your decision making, into your, you know, strategic discussions, you know, opening up seats at the table. That's never been really a part of it. it same with change management, right? Change management is important. Okay, well, where are the tools to help leaders be successful? And I think that's something that we just need to get better at in general and, and as an industry. Um, and, you know, I think to your point, I think we have made a little bit of progress um, in, in, in our industry just because there are more females um, that are working, maybe not at C-suites, but within the insurance industry. But I haven't seen a really good shift in um, just that respect word, Meg, that you you talk about. Um, it, it's kind of like a almost a have to um, in a lot of circumstances. And so at what point is it a want to, right? We want to have more women or more diversity um, within leadership roles. Um, and we, we do somehow provide a safe and vulnerable space for anyone who's struggling with some sort of harassment or um, microaggressions at work is feels comfortable sharing. Um, and that's, I think as leaders, we need to be better at that. We really do. 
Yes. We, um, intentions are great, but without action, they fall, they fall flat. And, you know, we're in an interesting time. Employees are demanding this level of transparency and, and despite what's going on economically, despite, despite, despite people are making decisions about their employment based on things like values and culture. And, you know, yes, you need to have a solid financial package, if you will, but people don't want to show up and work for sleazy, inhumane bosses. They just don't. And somehow we have created infrastructure that protects a lot of people, but I'm seeing some of that being exposed and a little bit more of transparency there. But, you know, we all work for different reasons. And I think that's been one of the biggest lessons. We have to continue to adapt and evolve the technology, the solutions, the product, but the people as well, right? Like the, we have to keep our open minds. We have to, because this, I love this generation for it. They're so much wiser than I ever was at that, at that age, but they're just not going to work for the, we've always done it this way. Put your head down and be grateful. You have a paycheck um, sort of energy. They're just not going to do it. And I love them for it. I do too. I think, um, One of the things I'm really passionate about is employee experience first, right? Will ultimately lead to a better customer experience. If you think about like a Zappos or even like Disney, right? Um, But I, um, one of the leaders that I work for that I I respected a lot in my career um, happened to be a female and her like mantra was always, it's all about the people. And um, it, it truly is like we're selling contracts, like contracts are not fun, right? To your point, like I was an underwriter as well. I enjoyed learning coverages, but I did it more because I had to. And it was interesting, but not something I want to be stuck in every day. Um, the product itself isn't sexy, right? So really, this is truly a, a people business. It's all about relationships, protecting people and their livelihoods. Um, and quite honestly, I am just like smitten that I got to be a part of this industry in my career because there's so many great people despite the challenges we've had um, as an industry and as women in the industry. But on that mantra of it's all about the people, I I have to give you some time to pitch um, your business to our audience, Meg. Oh, thank you. And uh, I love a mantra. I love that. And you people, if I can just wax on that a little bit, but the the people part is really interesting because we always think about the people being the external stakeholders. And now we're starting to talk more about the employee experience, but where I really connect is the peop the the human experience with our work and the workplace. And so I am here for the individuals that are working inside these organizations, which is a little bit different. It's very nuanced. Um, I've tried to come up with that elevator pitch and I can't. So I'll just sort of explain a little bit about how the business works and why it works this way. Um, I'm a project-based consultant. So companies, whether it's carriers, insurtechs, agencies, will hire me to solve some sort of need within their organization. I don't do anything long-term. I'm not on retainer. Everything is a flat fee we have this problem. Can you come in and solve it? For example, I think context helps. Um, One of the things I'm doing a lot of right now, we talked about core values, is helping executive teams 
hold up in a room to either identify for the first time or refresh their organization's core values. Sometimes we then write a mission statement and a vision statement, but it's really um, important that leadership teams understand what they stand for and then also understand how to make those core values integrated into their day-to-day in their organization. Why? Because we know that's, that's smart business, but also because employees coming in on the front end want to see those and want to hear them in an interview and on their onboarding experience. They're looking for that harmony all throughout. So the work itself is different. Every, every contract is different. It's, it's so contrary to what any business book or any guru would tell you that you need to pick a lane and you need to stick with it. And so um, this fall, I'll be launching again the next cohort with the National Alliance doing group producer coaching, which I love. And I love that relationship with them as well. All of these things are related in that they're all in the insurance industry, but they allow me to flex different muscle, muscles. And that was when we talked about burnout, one of the most frustrating things was a renewal is a renewal is a renewal. Yeah. And coverage is coverage is coverage. And we can talk about how the variety and every day is new and you always learn something. And that's true. But I was so ready to use a different part of my brain and my personality. And working this way gives me the ability to do that. And so what I also do is say no to a lot of things because they're completely out of alignment. You know, most of my business comes through referral. You know, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Anybody who's listening that's like, either this woman is a complete wackadoodle, like fine. But if you're if you're like, wow, this is interesting. And, you know, my website is a great place to go and just to get a, a conversation started or find me on LinkedIn. And then we can decide if it makes sense, if it's in alignment. And I think... Um... For anyone who's listening that is struggling with taking intentions into action, whether that's cultural impact or some sort of event that they want to host to you know, a women's conference, I think Meg is a really good person to have a discussion with um, because I think she could definitely help you get from what you're intending to do to actually taking action on it. I love that. And I love people and I love connecting with people. And beyond that, I love solving problems through relationships. And yeah. and by and large, the vast majority of things that we're struggling with can be solved through a connection to another human. And I think it's a really beautiful thing. Also, one of my favorite things about my network is just playing match.com with yes. people that are just like, could solve problems together. It's, it's so much fun. It's so rewarding. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Well, Meg, I have one more question for you, yes. um, but before we get to that, I just want to kind of wrap up. Thank you so much um, for being on the podcast today. I think there's just so many people within our industry that I think will just be a little bit better for listening to this podcast and then even much better if they get a chance to meet you in person and, and have a meaningful conversation. So I appreciate your time and your impact that you're having on the industry. Um, but my last question is my fun question. If you had to pick a walk-up song that gets you pumped up, what would that be? Ooh. Oh, that's a good one. Um, it would probably be like a, a Mumford & Sons song. Got it. Like, okay. Just, I'm oh, yeah. a huge, huge Mumford fan. And so don't have a specific one for you, but not your typical, like, it wouldn't be typical. I'll just put it that way. It would be a little bit more obscure, but but interestingly, if I can have a little tangent sidebar, as someone who struggles with anxiety, 
Um, music is a definite calming mechanism before I go on stage. Breathing is another one. And also, yes. So thank you. The walk-up song I would choose intentionally to help me with curbing anxiety, not getting me like even more. Not getting pumped up. up. Yeah. <laughs> that makes Got sense. <laughs> I'm going to compile all of these little um, clips at the end of all these podcasts. And oh, then when we have a big conference together and we're all walking up on stage. I'm just going to randomly like play music. So I love it. it'll I be like 10 it. years from now when everybody has forgotten about this, but I'm really excited for that moment. <laughs> even better. I say even better. We, um, I think the ability to reflect is, um, is so valuable and humbling. So yeah, bring it on. I love it. Yeah. Thanks, Meg. Such a pleasure to have you today. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you for listening to the And I Quote podcast brought to you by Coterie Insurance. We will be hosting episodes with industry experts on a variety of trending topics this year and would really love for you to listen and subscribe. Coterie Insurance is on a mission to simplify small business insurance for agents, brokers, and our partners. To learn more about Coterie Insurance and this episode, please visit our show notes below.